Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today we're talking about the art of advertising, which is the name of an exhibition being staged by the Bodleian Libraries in Oxford in the UK. It ran for 11 days before COVID-19 and can now be found online. I'm joined by Julianne Lambert, who is the librarian of the John Johnson Collection of Printed Ephemera at the Bodleian Libraries. She's also the main author of a book called The Art of Advertising, along with Michael Twyman, Linda Muggleston, Helen Clifford, Ashley Jackson and David Tompkins. If you're not familiar with the word ephemera, it really means uh, things that are created to exist for only a short time such as advertising posters or perhaps postcards. In our world, we're usually talking about printed materials. The Art of Advertising exhibition tells the story of British advertising from the mid-18th century to the 1930s through handbills, trade cards, novelties, posters and much more. Nearly all the exhibits are drawn from the Bodleian's John Johnson collection of printed ephemera, one of the largest and most important collections of printed ephemera in the world. The exhibition reveals the changes advertising went through from the 18th century to the 1930s and provides an insight into social history. Welcome, Julianne. Thank you, Richard, and thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. It's lovely to have you. What was the inspiration for this particular exhibition? Well, printing and social history are Johnson's stated themes for his collection, and I could find no better way of showing how they dovetail. Although advertising is just one of the main sections of the collection, it touches on so many other themes, such as perceptions of women, class, royalty and celebrity, politics, wars, shopping and local history. It also harnesses a wide range of genres of ephemera, trade cards, handbills, leaflets, posters, obviously, but also book marks, blotters, recipe books, calendars, stamp posters, postcards, hold to lights, games, toys and paper dolls. New techniques of paper cutting in the late 19th century meant that pop-ups, solvels and all sorts of die-cuts were used, making interesting shapes, and that packaging, as we know it, also became a vehicle for advertising. Then there are the collectible cards, such as Liebig and cigarette cards, which encourage brand loyalty. It's a very rich subject. Advertising is also visually appealing and very accessible. We're all bombarded with advertisements, but we don't stop to think how future historians will perceive our society, our aspirations, through our advertisements. But once their very ephemeral message is no longer relevant, advertisements become documents of social history. I wanted to explore what they do and don't tell us about our forebears, to what extent they can be seen as a mirror of society and used as evidence by researchers. So you, uh, you, you're the librarian of the John Johnson collection of printed ephemera. So who was John Johnson and why was this person so interested in ephemera? Well, John Johnson was... Actually, formerly John Dumonins Johnson, his date's 1882 to 1956. Um, he was born in Lincolnshire and educated in Oxford, Magdalen College School um, and Exeter College. He had a brief career in the Egyptian civil service, but then became a papyrologist. And it was while excavating the rubbish mounds of Antinui 
that he began wondering what we were doing to preserve our immediate paper heritage. His very successful career in archaeology was cut short by the outbreak of the First World War. Unfit for military service, he returned to Oxford and got a job on the publishing side of Oxford University Press. By 1925, he was printed to the university. It was the press that enabled him to return to that seminal idea and also to house the collection. His role as printer meant that he developed a network of connoscenti who helped him to find ephemera, which then had no monetary value. And he wrote what he, about what he was trying to do. He says, For some 15 years past, I have given a little leisure which in my life of manufacture allows me to the creation of a museum which in its own small way is beginning, and in the future I hope will more and more, be a, a department of university. Nowadays, if people ask me what is the purpose of these collections, I always say that it is to give a new history of the English people, as seen in the printed ephemera of the day-to-day -day lives of its men and women. It is a simple and intelligible purpose, and luckily it has the limitations of the scarcity of the material. It started as something less ambitious and grew, as most English things grow. I have conceived the idea of starting a little museum of common printed things, to illustrate at one and the same time the historical development of our social life and the development of printing. It was to be the museum of what is commonly thrown away, or is too often thrown away. Um, so really what he was doing was new, um, in that ephemera didn't really exist as a general collecting area. So did you say that he was a paperologist? I've not heard that term before. He was a paperologist, um, um, means that he was um, excavating for um, papyri. So um, he did, uh, he and his team discovered a Theocritus papyrus 900 years earlier than any um, previously known manuscript of the author. So he was, he did eventually write up. Uh, but I should have said too that the collection was Johnson's hobby. Um, he was working as printer at the university uh, for all but 10 years. He did have 10 years of retirement to work on his collection. Um, and during the Second World War, he lived at the press, and he would get up at four in the morning to work on his collection. It was his only recreation. All right. Now, for the exhibition, why focus on this period from the mid-18th century to the 1930s? Why is it so important? Um, well, Johnson thought that ephemera should survive by chance and not by design. So he collected retrospectively and established 1939 as his cut-off date. Uh, most of the collection is 18th century to 1939, although there are earlier and later items. Um, he seemed very interested, for example, in developing technology, so we do have things from the 40s and 50s. Um, and the earliest items of ephemera in the collection dates from 1508. But quite simply, I base the collection around the dates covered by the collection, which also happened to coincide with the periods of great change in advertising from monochrome to colour, wood engraving to chrome lithography, for example, and to encompass the golden age when art and commerce coincided in Britain, much to the chagrin of the fine artist establishment. Okay, the uh, exhibition includes something that could be uh, the first poster, as well as the first British printed advertisement. Can you describe this poster to us? Um, yes, it's very small, um, 8 by 14.6 centimetres. Um, it's in English, um, printed in black letter, um, just seven lines, of which 
the last is in Latin. Um, it was printed by William Caxton for his Serum Pie, a handbook for priests, in 1476-7. Um, and it has all the rhetoric of an advertisement. The purchaser shall have them good cheap, for example. Linda Muggleson writes about it in her chapter on the language of advertising in the exhibition book. Um, the critical works, words sorry, are in Latin at the bottom. Simplico set cedula, please leave in place. So this advertisement was to be posted up, we think perhaps in a church porch, but nobody knows. Were any particular firms, were there any particular firms that were instrumental in using fine art to sell products? Uh, yes, um, ANF pairs, which we know as pairs soap, uh, were the front runners as they were in so many aspects of advertising. Uh, Thomas J. Barrett, who was Pair's chairman is hailed as the father of British advertising. Um, after the success of Sacardi's You Dirty Boy, a sculpture he commissioned in 1878 and reproduced countless times in printed form as well as in statuettes, Barrett turned his attention in 1887 to existing fine art paintings, notably A Child's World by John Everett Millet, which we all know as Bubbles. The painting was owned by Sir Thomas Ingram, who was about to reproduce it as a colour supplement to his Illustrated London News. So by 1888, it was already known to a lot of the sort of public who might buy a pair of soap. Barrett bought the painting, and crucially, also bought the rights. But what he did was daring. He added a bar of soap, the pair's brand name, and the new title. Milo was at first furious, but later acquiesced, mainly due to the quality of the chromolithographic reproduction. Arch rival Sunlight Soap, owned by Lord Lever, also um, advertised with a work of fine art in 1888 um, called This is the Way We Wash Our Clothes by G.D. Leslie, a royal ac academician, um, but then more scandalously in 1889 reproduced the new frock by William are so clean, again with the addition of a bar of soap, but without permission. This caused an uproar in the art world with furious articles by Frith and a lot of polemic discussing the relationship between commerce and art, uh, which were considered by the establishment to be poles apart. The trend for reproductions of fine art continued, um, but it was limited by the um, available subjects, especially in existing art. Um, Laundry and washing were common um, fine art subjects, but uh, manufacturers of patent medicines, for example, would have been hard-pressed to find suitable paintings. Um, the source dried up naturally, but the rather painterly style persisted for some years. But the relationship between exponents of fine art, um, mainly members of the Royal Academy and the Royal Institute, continued. Britain's Dudley Hardy and John Hassel, who between them really formed the new um, British style, um, were respectively RA and RI. And uh, for several critical years in the 1890s, the British style had um, artistic merit and took its, rather, rather belatedly took its place on the international stage alongside Cherry and other amazing exponents of fine art, um, of commercial art, sorry, in, um, on the continent and, uh, and in America. But it soon became essentially commercial, um, notably in the hands of John Hassel. 
So today, um, firms have big marketing departments or they use a big specialist marketing agency. But around the turn of the century, were there particular people or creative forces driving advertising posters at the time? Um, well, yes. Um, agents for placing advertising in newspapers and journals had um, already, of course, been established. But in terms of posters, it was initially the printers that wielded power, um, as they had when illustration and advertisements had no pretension to art and was limited to faithful representations of the products for sale. Um, in the age of the poster, printers sometimes also in billboards, for example, W.H. Um, Smith and David Allen and Sons, and they engaged the services of artists. But John Hassel wrote a really interesting article called Something About Posters in a very modest journal, Pearson's Weekly, in 1905. Um, and in it, he compares the English and French ways of um, doing commercial arts and uh, particularly the, more, the greater respect the French had um, for commercial art than the British. But he also makes the following assertion which would account for large numbers of anonymous um, British posters. He says, it is extremely difficult for a young poster artist to get his name before the public, or the printers won't allow him to sign his work, for fear that, should it be successful, the artist will become in demand and raise his prices. But agencies, as we know them now, were established earlier than one thinks, and commonly it's thought that they were around the 1930s, but by 1897, for example, Morrison's advertising agency in Hull were advertising a wide range of services. Most of these were concerned with placing advertisements, but they also wrote copy and designed advertisements. Um, but by the 1930s, um, advertising agencies were offering a complete professional service from start to finish. You just needed the idea and an idea of real market, and they did the rest. Right. So... Um how and why was class depicted in some adverts? Well, a quick glance at our exhibition, sadly, um, as you said, only online at present, um, shows that the majority of advertisements were aimed at the upper, upper middle classes. In a class-ridden society, I think this was inevitable. You would want to associate your product with those with spending power and with a lifestyle that people would aspire to. Ironically, a lot of products are banal, especially cleaning products, so there are lots of servants depicted too. They're usually well-fed, smiling, ruddy, and often considerably healthier looking than their one tightly corseted mistresses. Uh, there were, of course, advertisements targeted at the emerging lower middle classes, and we show some of these, but they were printed on poor quality paper, usually unillustrated or poorly illustrated, and they've survived in far smaller numbers. Uh, in, and it's in some of these that we can get a sense of unrest. Some even make overt political statements, of, often humorously in doggerel verse. And um, it, it's, it's very interesting how the humble thing like cleaning materials and soap was so instrumental in the development of advertising to use fine art at the same time, don't you think? Yes, I do. And it was the same in France. I mean, if you look at Chéret's posters, um, they're usually for um, drinks or 
Um, of course, entertainment. I, mean, I have to say that the um, Art of Advertising exhibition doesn't focus on entertainment or travel, um, which, of course, used advertising as well. I mean, we had to restrict ourselves to product advertising. Um, but, yes, I think these um, a lot of these posters, um, biscuits, for example, um, the Lou biscuits um, that Cherie did, um, yes, a lot of them were for just for very, very banal um, subjects um, and uh, products, and, and, they, and they just lift them right out of that ordinary um, mould. So can I ask also about the um, the the condition of all of these exhibits that were chosen for the exhibition? So uh, ephemera is not designed to last, actually designed to be thrown away. These must be very fragile items that you've, you're handling and, and uh, chosen to display. They are. Um, we do have, um, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, really, but um, Johnson um, and his assistant, Lillian Thrussell, um, particularly mounted um, the material. So rather than just being loose in boxes, they have been preserved from handling because readers look at the mounts, um, handle the mounts and look at the, the objects. Um, he used very brittle hinging, so that does mean that if we want to digitise or obviously display anything, it has to be detached from the mount um, in order to lie flat um, so we can see the reverse or we can obviously um, put it in an exhibition case. Um, it's the posters that are obviously the most vulnerable. Some of those are linen-backed, um, but others aren't and are the poster that we used for um, our own exhibition poster, the Morris um, very um, Art Deco poster, um, that does have um, quite a bit of damage on the right-hand side, and we haven't tried to um, to mask that. Um, I think somebody who was looking at the exhibition um, online did actually comment that, um, surprise, well, perhaps surprisingly, we hadn't tried to tidy things up, as it were. Um, so yes, I mean there are there are elements of um, use, I mean, it's a bit of rubbing and um, some varnish um, on some of the window bills that has um, deteriorated a bit with age. Um, and I think that's all part of ephemera. I mean, yes, it's nice to have something in pristine condition, but um, it's also nice to show um, signs of use. I think. I think that Morris car art deco poster it caught my eye when i looked at the exhibition online but that is a lovely poster and from a oxford firm as well yes and nobody um seems to know who designed it it is anonymous um and it was the obvious candidate even though it's right at the far end of the chronological perspective of the exhibition it was a no-brainer really um, to use that as the poster but wasn't it interesting that the driver is female? Female, yes. Although um, in a previous incarnation, I did write a book, um, co-author a book uh, with a motoring expert on uh, motoring in Britain. Um, and women were driving um, almost from the start. There were women who didn't want to be driven by um, chauffeurs and who were, who were um, driving almost as soon as automobiles um, 
uh, came into being, um, and there was a great sort of discussion about what they should wear because all, they were all open tops, of course. Um, I have to confess that I didn't even notice that a woman is also smoking. And we have um, oh, another right. two items in the exhibition um, which um, show um, show people smoking, um, including one for Craven A, which says that it will um, cure, I think it is, um, sore, sore throats. So, um, yes, yeah, so, but she is uh, so very stylized, and it is such an eye-catching poster. Nobody seems to have seen it before. Um, there was a, an expert on Morris' posters that got in touch, who, and it was new to him. Yes, it's a lovely poster. Uh, yeah. Okay, finally, uh, we asked this question to everybody. But what book mm -hmm. or books are you currently reading? Um, well, I have been um, looking at some of the art books that we have, um, like the National Gallery Soroya catalogue, um, during lockdown, but I haven't had much leisure time, it has to be said, I have been working throughout. Um, in terms of um, fiction reading, at the moment I'm reading Barbara Kingsolver's Lacuna. Oh, right, yes. It's been around for a few years. Yeah, quite a popular book. Yes, 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 yes. yes. A friend recommended it and said, I really, really must read it, so ever obedient <laughs> excellent <laughs> all right okay that's all we have time for this week um, many thanks to julie ann lambert who is a librarian of the john johnson collection of printed ephemera at the bodleian libraries thank you julianne for joining us thank you very much for inviting me to do so and you can see the art of exhibition sorry you can see the art of advertising exhibition uh, by going online at the moment um the it's at the bodleian site uh the best way to find it though is simply to google bodleian libraries and art of advertising and you'll see it come up at the top there that's all we have time for this week uh thank you very much and we'll see you all again soon <laughs>